Most problems in life are natural. Uh, most problems in life are normal. Uh, life is very normal, you know. And when things go wrong, it's normal things that go wrong. Uh, everyone likes to make it spiritual, but usually it's pretty normal. Uh, it might have a spiritual background, uh, because everyone who's not truly born is under the dominion and principality and power of darkness. And when we're born again, we come into light. And there's a great gulf fixed between the two. And there are no shades of grey. And what happens in society is everything, they want to put it all together and make out that you can be a Christian and, and you can uh, be half this way and half that way. You can't be. You're either in or you're out. You're either born or you're dead. You're either in life or you're totally out of it. One of the questions people ask is, what does it mean to be born again? Uh, some people come to me and they say, well, am I born again? How do I know I'm born again? How do I know something's happened? And lots of people think that speaking in tongues means you're baptized in the Spirit. It doesn't. There's no biblical uh, basis for saying that because you're a tongue speaker, that you're filled with the Spirit. Nor is there any basis for saying you're born again just because you come and surrender to Jesus. That doesn't mean you're born again. Uh, and because you ask Jesus into your heart doesn't mean you're born again. And there's a lot of people get into a lot of confusion because they don't understand what new birth is. And they begin to say, oh, well, I know I'm born, I know I'm, I know I'm converted. Well, I take variance with people who, who try and define and say, well, I know I am because I gave my heart, I asked Jesus into my heart, uh, I said a prayer, I made a commitment, but there are many, many people who make commitments down their lives who are not born again. And it's amazing how often people who aren't in life but believe they, they are in life because of deception and wrong understanding and wrong teaching start stating they're born again and then they live condemned. Condemned because what they think they should have, they haven't got. And their experience doesn't match up to the Bible experience. And, and they begin to be terribly confused in their minds. And then they try and play psychological tricks. Which cause confusion. And so what I, I thought I'd do, um, it was um, really, while I was speaking to... The, um, the whale fellow that I thought we've got a whale of a problem here um, I thought I'd take two people who, who were brought up in Christian homes and were told they were born again and, and followed the routine and went to children's camps and, and then discovered what they thought they had they hadn't got 
And there's a lot of ministers who think they've got what they haven't got. And that's why they're failures. And they don't like being called failures. But that's the truth. And so you always need to face the truth. Because if you know the truth, it'll make you free. There is a liberation when you know where you are in God. And, or where you're not in God. And one of those people was a man called Peter Lineker. He was, um, he was uh, actually uh, in a thriving evangelical church of four people that after two years had a thriving congregation of four people. Uh, two totally devoid of sanity, it's Peter and Carolyn. The other two, trying to get sane uh, with them there. <laughs> and so I thought it'd be good for um, Peter first, and then I'll go to Carolyn, you see, because that's why, well, I've got the microphone, I've got, all right. I wanted him to just explain his experience. I want you to listen. Because testimony is a good thing. Okay? Now, it doesn't mean you can have his experience, because obviously you're you. And you'll never have someone else's experience. But sometimes it can throw light on where you are. Or not, as the case may be, where you're not. And so we're starting with Peter tonight. And he wasn't prepared for this. So that's why I chose. If you get people prepared, they come up with a polished idea and then they don't really say. Now, I, I want to stick him in a corner and get him, you know, he's got to say where he is. And if he doesn't give a good enough explanation, I will interrupt and come back and get him to make it clearer. And here is Peter. Right, the bishop mentioned that uh, I was involved with uh, children's camps when I was small and I grew up in a Christian home, which is true. And um, I went to various churches when I was with my mum and dad growing up. And <clears throat> I ended up in the Christian Union at school. And I was uh, joint leader of the Christian Union in school. So I then went to university and I was uh, a, um, a college rep for the Christian Union at um, my college in Cambridge. And so I was aware of a lot that was in the Bible and I would have said that uh, I was a Christian insofar as I knew what I uh, had agreed to when I was at camp <coughs> when I was 16, for example. And yet, after university, what was really apparent to me when we got to Harlow, after we got married in 1976, was that everything that um, I knew should be true from what I read in the scriptures didn't actually work out in my life on the inside particularly. And I used to read things like... Um, you'll have persecution as a Christian. And I never did. 
and I used to read things about the power of um, the gospel to change lives and I'd seen people over the years agree to become a Christian in the way that I thought but what happened to me in Harlow in 1976 to 78 was that we in this church of four people which was involving Jamie Coleman sitting over there who was the pastor and Esther his wife and Carolyn and myself were the congregation so we got to know each other very well couldn't hide if there was a collection um, <laughs> sort of thing and we met in Jamie we didn't have a collection but we met in Jamie's home but the whole idea was that we thought this was where we should be to develop this church on this new housing estate in Harlow and helping Jamie and Esther. Now it was at that point particularly that it's, it hammered home to me that I didn't have what I thought I had to share as a Christian to make an impact and change other people. And I began to realize deep down that on the inside <clears throat> what I knew should be a changed life in the way I thought and everything wasn't true. So on the outside I was very polished, to use that word again, in knowing what I should be saying because I knew the, knew the scriptures quite well and I've been to Bible studies and so on but to convey that to another person I couldn't do and it made me look on the inside that that I didn't have what I was, what I, I didn't have anything to share. That's the bottom line. And that really made me think about the condition I was in. And I thought, well, then that's just normal. It's the case that you mentally, in your mind, assent to being a Christian, but the power of that life to be shared with someone else didn't happen. And while we were part of this church in Harlow, trying to develop it, nothing worked. We tried everything of different methods of evangelism and so on. I was very keen to try this, try that, try any sort of method to try and get this church to grow type of thing. But what happened in Harlow was that I came to myself, really, in the sense that um, it wasn't true for me on the inside. Now what happened was, by a circuitous route, we ended up going to Onga and hearing um, Bishop Reed speak at a meeting. And what he preached about was from a passage in Ezekiel, which was all to do with having a new heart that was alive. Now I'm sure I've read that passage I had read that passage before. What hit me was that I realized that on the inside of me, despite everything that I knew about the Bible, despite everything that I knew about in my mind, that I should be like on the outside as a Christian, despite every Christian I'd known in the past, what was being said to me was that on the inside of Peter Charles Roland Lineker, they're my middle names, on the inside of me, there had to come a fundamental change of heart being born again. And that had never happened to me in 
the way that was being told to me by God through our bishop, right between the eyes, that that's what needed to happen to me. I, I need to be changed from the inside out, whereas my whole life before was knowing what the outside should look right, but the inside hadn't been affected. That was the difference. It was now from the inside a new beginning. And I knew that there was such a phrase as being born again because I'd read the Gospel of John many, many, many times. But the impact that happened was that God got hold of my heart and I know that at that meeting when I heard the word of God preached in that way, what happened was the inside of me was changed. And when it says in Ezekiel, a new heart will I give you, that's what happened to me on the inside. Now the net effect of that on me was a sense of relief and release that I could at last, I could now see, be relaxed in that because things had changed on the inside. And what was a, a fight for me in my mind before, what was a fight with sin before, sin was broken on the inside, from the inside out, because a whole new beginning happened. As a result of that, a few days later, I was um, doing the washing up, you know, as you do, and it was half term, I was a teacher at Braysgrove Comprehensive School Hollow, so I was in the house on my own, and doing the washing up, and I, and I was just standing there, and I, I, it just struck me how simple the whole thing was, what had happened to me, and I began to laugh. Uh, to myself, and then out loud. But I, it was just because it was so simple, it was that I'd missed it all those years, and I think what happened was, I got sorted out in terms of knowing all about God, but I didn't know God for himself. And God got to know me when he gave me a new heart on that night when Bishop Reed preached and God got hold of me when there was a response at the end of the meeting, that's what happened to me. From that time, I then found that persecution came, not that I was looking for it, but that the people I used to be associated with who knew all about the Bible and knew all about God but didn't have the life of God on the inside having been born again, it was those people that I found I was different to. And they couldn't understand it. And there was one particular fellow, I remember, for example, who was uh, um, uh, my best man at the wedding. I'd been at school with him. We'd done the Christian Union together. I went to Cambridge. He went to Oxford. He became the president of the Oxford Christian Union. I'd known him all the way through. And then it came to the point, though, when I, when I was talking to him, that it encapsulated at that time the difference that had happened to me. He couldn't work it out. He could see I was different, mind you, but he couldn't work out that, well, you know, you've always known about being born again and so on. But what had happened was that the life of Christ had come into me and it really was that the new heart that I was given allowed his life to be lived through me and it wasn't me trying to live that life as I thought it should be lived from what I'd read in the Bible. I wasn't trying to be a Christian. I was a Christian with Jesus Christ on the inside. 
So that's what being born again meant to me. And has progressed, the progression since then has, has been learning how to allow God's life just to relax and let his life be lived through me thereafter. So that was from 1978 right up to this, this point in time. So that's how I would describe. Do you want me to hand over to my wife? Yeah, right. Okay. Well, I had the, the standard evangelical pedigree as well. And I'm grateful for the um, Christian upbringing that I had. I had parents who took me to church, who read the Bible with me, who taught me to pray. And I can remember the very first time that I knew that I was a sinner. And that was in a Billy Graham meeting when I was about six or seven years old. But I, I couldn't. Everybody was flocking out. There were thousands of people. My father said to me, do you want to go? And it was just too much. But that was the first awakening that I knew that I had a need. And um, in my terms, I made a commitment to Jesus Christ when I was nine. And it was very real to me. And I was very sincere about it. And... Um, but as, as time went on, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't put together, as I got older and began to question things, I think, more, why what I read in the Bible and my experience of Jesus Christ didn't match up. It seemed to me that I had to try very hard. And so, I mean, I, I, I was trying to be as genuine as I knew how to be. It was real. But... I seemed to have to always, I, I would be challenged, I needed to get saved again because somehow it wasn't working. Somehow it, I didn't seem to be, it wasn't, I was imposing it on myself rather than it coming out from the inside of me. And I mean, I did all the things that were expected. I went to Sunday school. I went to um, Bible class after that. I was involved in youth work. Um, I, I was I led the Christian Union in my school, and later I became the college rep when I was at university. But always this thought, that there was this dichotomy, that what was inside me and what I read in the Bible were two different things. And yet I knew it all, just like Peter said. I knew... I knew all the story, I knew most, a lot of the doctrine, I knew what I was meant to believe. And I believed it. But without it being truly real. And uh, when, we, when we left university, got married, um, we came to live in Harlow, and we, we very much wanted to find what God's place for us was. We went around the various churches, and... We wanted, to, we wanted to feel that we could um, give something in a church context. And we ended up with Jamie and Esther, wherever they are. The four of us together. When well, we had a cat as well. There was four of us and the cat. <laughs> and when I say we tried everything, we really did try everything. We went to one ministry after another. We asked questions here and there. 
We tried fasting. We met together every day and prayed. Um, my day for fasting, we had a kind of a, a rota of fasting. My day was Monday, and Monday I got up. I struggled through work, and I came home, and I went straight to bed because I was absolutely starving. <laughs> the only way I could cope with not having an evening meal was to go to bed. And so we imposed all this kind of agony on ourselves, trying to make it work, and it didn't work. And you know, I look back and I see that was God's grace. He wasn't being mean with us, he was denying us. He was showing us the reality of where we were inside. We couldn't produce anything because we were in a wilderness. We couldn't give anybody else any life, we would only have messed them up. Unfortunately, we remained within this little group and we messed each other up, but we limited the damage. Um, and I would like to say that all the churches in Harlow were supporting us in our efforts. They were right behind us. But it didn't work. And we were, we were sincere. We, we, we knew what we're meant to believe. We read the Bible. We prayed. We tried to speak in tongues. We got somebody to come and pray for us to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We thought, that must be what we're missing. Because we all knew that something was missing. But sometimes you know that something's missing, but you don't really realize what it is. And if somebody had come to me and said to me, you are not a Christian, I would have been horrified. I would have been absolutely horrified. Because everything that had been built into my life from the time I was a tiny little girl was a Christian faith. And I had made specific commitment after specific commitment to Jesus Christ. And then we came to the, as the church as it was then in Onga. And I can remember walking in and I thought to myself, we've made a dreadful mistake. We shouldn't have come here. I want to go home. But in that service... Instead of me trying to do something for God, instead of me giving my life to God, God gave his life to me. And everything inside me changed. It was no longer me saying, I'm giving you my heart. I'm asking you to come into my life. He was now giving, he now gave his life to me. And it happened so simply. Just the word of God, that word about a new heart, I'll take away the heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And the other scripture that he referred to was, um, I will write my laws into your heart and into your life. And those the scriptures that I had known for years, suddenly they were alive in me because the person who wrote them was alive in me. And the whole, the whole effort of trying to be up here because I knew I should be up here and I was down here and I couldn't bridge the gap. It all fell away. And the difference was he met me, he birthed me. It wasn't me struggling to make my commitment to him.
I found it was like a light that I'd never known before. And some, somehow, when people um, said things that before I would have accepted, Christians said things that before I would have accepted and thought, yes, that's right. But there was a, like a light inside that, could, that came to judge what was God and what wasn't God. I mean, that was nothing to do with me. That wasn't any great thing that I had done. But that was because the author of the light was there inside. And I can remember we went back to Onga, uh, to Harlow, and we told, oh, it was so embarrassing, because we just, we just moved into this estate where we were, which we were trying to convert. We moved in in the middle of December. We had, a, we had a kind of a Christian gathering in our home, kind of dedicating our home and ourselves to working for God in this area in Harlow. At the beginning of January, we came to Onga, and then we had to go back and tell them we were leaving. Because there was no, I mean, there was just no question inside me. This was my home. The group of 30 or 40 people, as it was then, this was my family. I, I mean, that was just automatic. I never thought, it, it was never a question. I, I knew I belonged there. I'd come home. And... Uh, you know, they were so angry with us. They were so angry. They would cross the road and walk on the other side of the road rather than face us on the street. They just couldn't understand. I suppose because what we were saying, because I was saying, well, I've got, I've got born again. And I suppose because what I was saying was threatening their own experience. Because I had said before, I would have said before I was a Christian. I would have said before I was trying to do God's will. And because this radical, no, we're selling our house, we've found a church where we know we belong, God has met us in a way we, he never met us before. And everything was different. And they couldn't stomach it. And I was shocked. And friends that I had at university who I used to sit and discuss with and talk and say, why is it, does it not work? What is it that we've missed? And they would share the same kind of doubts and fears. But boy, when I went back and said, I found the solution, it was like as if I threw a grenade at them. And, and you can see how it says in the scripture that the seed of the bond and the seed of the free, they just... They are en enemies. It's sad, but it's a, it's a truth. And so, a few months after we moved to this in uh, Harlow, uh, we moved to be near um, the people in Onga. And that is nearly 22 years ago. And I can only say that that which I knew to be real then is as real to me today. That that life has never ebbed away. It's never gone. It's always there. Never. 
has it, has it changed? It's only ever got better, as I've understood more. I can remember Michael saying to us when, when we came, it's going to take you two years to forget what you've been taught. What was the next two years? Two years to realize how much you need to learn, and then another two years before you're at any place of stability. Because it was such a radical change. It's strange, isn't it? You can just be one degree off truth, and it takes you completely out. And you, you come back, and God meets you, and he puts you on the right path, and it's just so different. You know, people get offended with that. If you're offended with that kind of thing, then you're offended because you're where she was, not where she is. Uh, light always manifests darkness. Darkness doesn't understand it. That's the thing. But when you come into life and you know you're born, you know you're born. Uh, God is a God who's good. Uh, the hardest thing I have in my ministry is to get people to the place where they can see where they aren't before you can get them where they need to be. I think it's to try and help you understand. Um, many people can get healed, many people can get met, many people can make decisions, many people can accept philosophies, many people can, but God alone can birth a man. And if God doesn't do it, it don't get done. No matter how many decisions you make, the inward conflict remains. The way I know who's who is a true Christian has the peace of God that passeth understanding. It, it goes beyond anything else into the internals and it works inside and there's no struggle. Striving and struggle cease, and you're at rest. For there's a rest for the people of God. And that's the most wonderful place to come into. And once you're in, you're in. But until you get in, uh, Christianity is hard. Very hard. To live a Christian life without Christ, but with his help, is a mighty struggle. But when Christ lives in you, it's so, so easy. And it's the ease of life. Uh, most people that don't love the Bible and can't really... Uh, enjoy God. The reason is they're not in life. Because when you're alive, it's life to you. Uh, there's nothing in the book that 
doesn't speak live. I can pick up the scriptures in any place I go. It just thrills me. Uh, you say, well, how? I don't know. Doesn't matter. Uh, but I find very few people there. Thank God for the ones that are. Uh, I suppose it's revival, really. You're alive in Him. And life more abundant. And it's very easy. I remember after uh, coming into life, how, how people would say to me, well, they'd come with silly doctrines. And I, I hadn't studied the scriptures that well, but I could always say to them, well, somewhere in the Bible it'll say so and so and so and so and so and so. And they'd look it up and point to it. And they'd say, well, how did you know that was there? And I used to laugh and say, well, living in me is the one who wrote it. <laughs> he lives in me. That's how I know. And you can't get swayed because you have an inner witness. And John Wesley's father, when he was dying, he said to his son, he said, son, follow the inner witness. Now, John Wesley's father wasn't to be recommended. But I want to tell you, the inner witness comes when life comes. When the anointing of the Holy Ghost comes, he comes. And what I talked about of the fatherhood of God, that you know God's your father, most important thing. I find a lot of individuals don't understand sonship. They don't really know God's their father. I know they can say it because they believe it. They've been brought up evangelical. But they can't say it because they know it. And the problem is, how do you explain to someone like Carolyn, who was brought up in a very good brethren assembly, really? But there they were, and they all had religion, but most lacked Christ. And that's the truth. And I meet a lot of people like that, dead. Dead men living in what they think they've got, professing what they think they have, but they haven't got it. But oh, when you're at rest and at peace, and he's come. It's so, so easy. You must be born again. You know, that's the problem. People have taken it over the years, and they've twisted this be born again into conversion. And so what they talk about is, is convert. But you see, you can convert from one way of living to another way of living without your insides being changed. The Jews did it all the time. Um, and you could convert to being a Jew, couldn't you? And, and you could follow all the law, and, and as far as you were concerned, you were convinced that God was your God. And, and so it would be. You make God your God. Uh, and that's what a lot of evangelical Christians do. And then they get baptized in the Spirit, and they think somehow, but you see, the trouble is that that isn't what matters most. What matters most is you have to be born into the family. There is a birth from above 
that God alone does without your will, without your determination. He does it sovereignly. The Word of God comes alive and it bursts forth on your soul and you're born from above and you're not the person you were born. Your nature inside changes. Everything is transformed inwardly. That's new birth. Not many people get there. Many, many people profess. Few live. And I see a lot of religious people. And I wonder, and that's why I'm sure Paul, when he wrote his epistle, he said, you know, <laughs> men are saved by the foolishness of preaching. Uh, and you wonder, God, how can I bring people to see? And when they come for advice, you can sit them down and you can spend hours trying to counsel them. But hours of counseling don't work. One second of God's intervention transforms everything. And it's only when his word does it. I'm a Bible man. And to me, we're born again of the incorruptible seed of the word of God. That's where miracles come from. I'm a great believer in miracles, miracle power. But I want to tell you something. You can have a miracle without a birth. You can have an experience without being born. You can actually have many interventions of God's Spirit and yet never be in life. But Christians don't talk about it. And then people, they try to put a sticking plaster over a gaping wound. It doesn't do much good. It really doesn't hide it. Nature has to change. We become partakers of the divine nature. And that means you partake of the very life of God in your being. And it's so easy when that happens. Your mind, your thinking, your attitudes, your, the, the fount of life changes from the fount of sin to the fount of love. The, the person who lives in Romans 7 is a non-Christian heathen. That which I would not, that I do. The good that I would I do not, and the, the evil that I would not, that I do, and, and on. And then he says, who shall deliver us from the body of this death? Well, you see, death is in outside of Christ. When you're in life, there's no condemnation. There's no, you don't have that conflict at all. If you have that conflict, you're living under law, not under grace. You're not born, you're... you're you're just outside of life. Christianity is not conflict, it's peace. When Jesus comes, he's the prince of peace. That's why we receive the peace of God that passeth all understanding.
It goes beyond your mind, uh, just into the realm of your spirit, and suddenly, boom, and it's done. People often come to me, they say, well, what do I do to get born again? I say, keep coming. And then they, a couple of weeks later, well, you know, what do I do? Keep coming. Why do I say that? Because I know that the Word will get you. The Bible will get inside. The Word of God always gets inside. But sometimes you need just shaking up and someone to tell you, because I'll tell you this, <laughs> when you're in death, you've got to really begin to use the means of grace to come into life. And the way of grace is the Word of God. You must be born again. You must be born again. And that's a fact. So, so few people are in life. A lot of people can live. You know, one of the examples I'll give you is Lot. If you go back to your Bible and you'll see that Lot, when, when God called Abraham out of Mesopotamia, uh, Lot went with him. Now, Lot means dark-colored or concealed, and he went along. He wasn't meant to go along, because Abraham was meant to leave his family behind. He was to get out of his kindred, out of his country and from his family. And he was to leave and go. But he took Lot along with him. And Lot going with him caused a lot of problems down the road. And you'll notice that when the altar was built, it was... Abraham had to go right back to that first altar between Ai um, and uh, Bethel. Uh, he had to go back to that altar, return to it. Now, the reason he had to return to it was because finally he'd separated from Lot. And Lot always speaks of compromise. You see, it's amazing how many people want to obey God, but in obeying God, they don't obey God fully. They obey Him, and it takes God time to get you to really abandon all. And it took God a long time to bring Abraham to really abandon everything. And in fact, 20 years before he really realized that God is real. Totally. And God was the provider in all that time. God was faithful in all that time. But Abraham couldn't cope. And a lot of people, when they come to church, you can't turn around and say that the walk of Abraham, the walk of faith, was wrong. It was a walk of faith, but it wasn't where God really wanted him. And very often with people that come to church, uh, you know, they, there's a nice idea that you come to church uh, and you change everything. I'm sorry, you don't. Very often you come and God will drive out the enemy little by little. But then there will come the crisis. <laughs> 
and you want to quit living in middle ground any longer and you say, how? Oh, this is crazy. And it's then that God says, well, have you had enough? And you say, I've had enough. And then God meets you. And I, I believe this. You know, Whitfield and Wesley taught, and um, the Quakers taught, uh, that there has to be law work before you could really come into grace. And, and they would always preach law to get people to grace. Because you can't know un, un, undeserved favor if you don't know you need it. And, and there's a lot of idea that people can step out of the world and straight into all the blessings of God, but you can't. Many people, when they preach on the day of Pentecost, you know, 3,000 souls were added, but they forget. When you take it in context, my Bible says there were devout and holy men out of every nation came to Jerusalem. And when God filled them with the Holy Ghost, it was devout and holy men he filled, not sinners. You read Acts chapter 2. And God had dealt with those men. And they might have come from every nation, but boy, they'd been under a law work and God had worked in their lives. When Cornelius and his household came in, you'll find he was a man of prayer. He was a man of vision. An angel came and visited. It wasn't any household the Holy Ghost came to. And I think that we often, and you hear preachers often take it out of context and suggest anyone can come in. I want to tell you it's not so. Every step in Carolyn's life bordered to the place 22 years ago where God could sovereignly meet her. Nothing was wasted. Not one word was wasted. Every experience was needed to bring in that final life. And so it's no good looking and trying to cast everything off, because that's useless. What you must do is realize that God is faithful. And if you've been in the church a time, you don't have to abandon. You say, well, they came in a new life. Yeah, they came in a new life but it was built out of the old. You see, your desperation's built out of realization. It doesn't work. Done work gives you a knowledge of what does work. You know, as a young child born to this family, and what the family did, they put him in the chicken coop. And when social workers finally found him, he'd lived all his life, I think he was 12, he'd lived all his life in a chicken coop with the chickens. And you say, well, he, he, he squatted on a perch. So, well, he was a human, he wanted chicken, he didn't lay eggs. But his experience was such that he adopted what he was and what was around him. And strangely enough, that's what people do. And when you come to church, you get out of your chicken coop and you, you need to learn what humanity is. 
Now, that boy thought what he was living was normal. When they took him out of the chicken coop and they began to educate him, I mean, man, he suddenly saw that life wasn't a chicken coop. But some of you are locked up and what you think's normal is what you've experienced and you think that's normal. And when you're in an evangelical church and you live up and grow up in an evangelical way, hey, you think what you've got's normal and you think it's what everyone else has. Why? Because it's what you've got. And something has to shake you to realize there's a glorious ocean. There's a massive world. There's a reality in God that's so vast that it gets you out of your chicken coop. Uh, it's difficult to get people to realize just the beauty of God. It's difficult to get them to, to understand the vastness of God's grace. You know, that you might be able to comprehend, Paul put it, the depth and the height and the breadth of the love of God. Uh, you know, but how can you get that into someone who doesn't know the love of God? Oh, they know about it. But you see, the only way you know it is by birth. The love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. and uh, Then it's not difficult to laugh. It's impossible not to. <laughs> and all preaching is trying to bring people to a realization of that. And many, many preachers, they, because they live in the wrong realm, they... they tell people, well, you've got to seek God, you've got to fast, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you better read your Bible more, you've got to do it, you do it. And they're trying to, but they haven't found life. Frankly, when you're in life, and don't take this the wrong way, but when you're in life, it doesn't matter what you do. I don't want you to take that the wrong way. But it honestly doesn't matter. You're in life. And you'll find life, everything's life to you. Because somehow it ministers life. Even death ministers life. And you say, well, how can that be? It's because of what's in you. And I can't explain it. I, I just don't know how to explain to someone... Um, You, you just have to read some of the hymns of, say, Charles Wesley. Or, or one of the things you want to do, you, you read a book like uh, A Call to a De Devout and Holy Life by William Law. Uh, and many Christians will read that book and identify with everything in it. And Wesley did. And Wesley set up the Methodists in his university at Oxford, and they all tried to get into life. They didn't get into life. Took Moravians to come along, and then one of the Moravians was reading, you remember, uh, Luther's introduction to Romans, and glory to God, the light dawned on him. Now, he'd gone off as a missionary. He was 
totally convinced he was going to save the heathen, got to the heathens and found out it was he that needed saving, not the heathens. And he records how his heart was strangely warmed and everything changed. The inward witness came, life came. And that's, that's the way it is. So don't get discouraged. Be encouraged. Don't, if you find something's wrong, you've got a God who can put it right. If you're sick, you've got a God who heals. If you're bound, you've got a God who delivers. Now that's wonderful. If you're poor, you've got a God who makes rich. He'll bless the work of your hands. If you don't work, he's nothing to bless. God's on our side. And if we live according to those principles that we know and we walk in the light we have, he'll bring us into life. You say, well, what experience can I have, you know, if you lay hands on me? People say, lay hands on me. But I, I can't do what God alone can do. Now, there's times when God tells me, and I know life will come. I don't know how I know, but I know. Hmm. I was talking to someone today, and I said how mother was a widow. She came to the church, and I, I went and laid hands on her. Made her cry for three days. I can have that effect on people. Cried for three days. Got rid of all the pain. And her. Now, I, I didn't pray, you know, healing and memories or anything of that. God got inside. After three days, healing, it, it was there. See, God comes to heal our emotions, heal our, he comes to heal the whole person. Some people need, really need a release in their emotions. Well, God does. Now, I, I laid hands on, other people I've just preached and, and the words got inside and boom, it's happened. Uh, some people have been healed while they're sitting in the chair at the end of the meeting. They got up, found they're healed. Well, I don't care how God does it. I'm not saying this one way or another way. You've got to understand that. God will do what he'll do, how he wants to do it, when he wants to do it, with you as he wants to do it. Uh, and there is no formula. The only thing I believe in is the word of God. <laughs> the gospel. The good news is the power of God unto salvation. And the good news is God loves you. And God loves you so much he sent his son for you. And if there was no one else in the world, he'd have sent Jesus for you. He bled and died on Calvary's tree, took your sin and my sin into his own body. Third day rose physically from the dead and is alive. And he loves us. Uh, he wants to forgive us, to heal us, to deliver us. And it just takes time. Years ago I thought, God, couldn't you do it in one minute? 
Of course he could. I was sitting over in the, after a meeting and chatting with someone, and he said, well, you know, he said, God talks about um, six days and seven days. And he said, this, this man I know said, it was seven periods of time, it could have been. I said, look, if God, it's, my Bible said God created heaven and earth, and all that therein is, in six seconds, I wouldn't have a problem with it. If it took him six days, that's good enough for me. It certainly didn't take him six million years. I want to tell you that. Our God is a good God. When he created you, most of you, he had a tremendous sense of humor. <laughs> uh, and God created man. Uh, and you imagine, the whole way, in all eternity, <laughs> this wonderful God of ours. And then when he, he saw what would happen and he foreknew everything, how he designed salvation to come. The Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. He said it in his heart. I mean, what a God we have that cared so much. And if he cares that much for you, to give his only begotten son. You don't have to worry about not making it. God's God. He really is. And he loves you enough to get inside you. He's a wonderful God. And a loving Heavenly Father. And there is nothing he won't do for you. Because he's already done it. He gave his son. And that is the most guaranteed thing of God's love. He's not petulant, he's not against you, not angry with you. It's not like that. He's a lover. Yeah, Charles, Jesus, you lover of my soul. I mean, you can't, you can't get out of that kind of knowledge if you know it. And it's love is wonderful, and you've got to know the heights and the depths and the breadth of it. And it's not some theory, it's reality. And all I wanted to share with you was just, hey, here's two people. They came, they came in a religious way. There was nothing wrong with that, that was the way God bought them. I came up the other way, I was, I, I, the last thing you could have called me was religious. Especially when I was in the priest, I was the most irreligious person. But God met me just the same. Uh, mine was easier because I knew the transformation from the second it happened because I couldn't carry on with my lifestyle because I just couldn't. I tell people, I didn't give up sin, it gave me up. I just couldn't do, I couldn't live that way. And I know Carolyn and Peter would say the same. You see, whatever way you come, in the end, there's only one way. His name is Jesus.
And so we all come that way. Christmas is the most glorious celebration of the one who came to give everything for you. Uh, and just let your heart set on that. You know, over this Christmas period, I, I, I love Christmas. I really do. <laughs> but God is good all the time. What you have to understand is, why don't you make your hero this year, Jesus? You know, why don't you make the center of your life, Jesus Christ? If any time in the year you have an opportunity, this is the time of year, have an opportunity saying, God, well, I've tried my own way, now let me take you greatest gift God gave is his son, Jesus Christ. Most wonderful gift. Make it a time where you say, God, I want to really appreciate the gift you gave. Your son. The greatest gift of all. God's gift to the world. And make that your choice. Coming into December, we're in December, are we? Yeah, today. Remarkable. Where did the year go? This December. And then when you come to the 25th, you look back and say, hey, I've got peace, because the Prince of Peace has come. What a gift. You know, God says if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything gets added to you. It's just that most people won't believe it. They don't believe God's promise. Hmm? Let's lift our hands to him. Father, I thank you. You always hear us. Lord, in your mercy and your grace, just reach out. Lord, let healing power flow. Lord, I know how much you love. Lord, reach in and do a miracle, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.